Father's Day, we are going to have the young theologians with us this morning. Hey, Oscar, I'm going to use this mic for them, okay? Uh, They have memory verses every quarter, and they come up here, and the prize that they'll be getting this quarter is going to be a pen. Yeah, it's right here. See it? It's it's real small, but uh, I didn't bring one up with me. Um, Psalm 119, verses 89 through 90, right, guys? Yeah. Okay. Are you all in the... Oh, we got shorty guys. Short guys got to come to the front. I'll come to the front, too. I'm short. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody's a ham. All right, are we ready? We're going to say it together? Okay, when I say three, we'll start, okay? You ready? Three. All right. What was the last thing you're supposed to say? Happy Father's Day. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Happy Father's Day! All right. This way, guys. Excellent. Just jump. I know they will. (laughs) Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to have a Christmas study here in the middle of June. Matthew chapter, actually, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 1, we'll be starting at verse 18. As always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat, but if there isn't, if anybody needs a Bible, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Also, kind of a special day for myself and my wife, for the first time at our church, we have our mother-in-law, Karen Ladini, with us. (laughs) Terry's mother. So all those bad stories I told about her, don't say anything. (laughs) Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 1, we'll be starting at verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn sons. 
and he called his name Jesus. Father, once again, as we see this this great ministry of a father, I pray, Lord, through the examples of your scriptures that today we would be encouraged. Father, if there's areas that we've fallen short or maybe even been willfully disobedient, that we would repent, that we would get back on track. Lord, that we cause us to examine our children or grandchildren and, Lord, where maybe they're off track, Father, that we will continue steadfast in prayer, never giving up, always pushing forward. So once again, Father, just bless our time together here in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So when considering what to speak about on this Father's Day, I I took somebody from the scriptures that I believe, well, I can really relate to. Because I can remember, well, I remember the excitement of our firstborn when Terry said that she was pregnant. Well, with all of them, when she said she was pregnant. And and we're going to have a a child, and, and the family's all excited, and we're excited. And then there's that day that you go to the hospital, and she gives birth, and you go and visit Back then, you couldn't stay there, being the father, and, and you go and you, you visit and you see him, and then they come home and you set the baby in a bassinet and you realize you're responsible for a human life. And that just hit me right between the eyes. Because before, it was pretty much myself. I get married, but I think there was a, uh, I think there was a return policy there that if I wasn't satisfied after certain... Nah, that didn't happen. But nonetheless, but with the, with the child, this child for its very life is dependent upon you. And I'm thinking, man, for the next 18 plus years, and it turned out to be plus, I'm going to be providing for this child. And it's, it's, it's a necessity, and it's a great responsibility that overwhelmed me. I can remember being very fearful. Other than our Father who is in heaven, I think the best example of a dad is Joseph. Not the one who made it to the king's court in Egypt, but the one who was that quiet carpenter in Nazareth. Nowhere in the Bible, with Joseph, nowhere in the Bible do you hear him speaking any words whatsoever. You never hear him speaking of anything. Matter of fact, it was always Mary that was very quick to speak. And so I can even relate here. In Luke chapter 2, verse 48, Mary, Terry, it kind of rhymes. Luke chapter 2, verse 48, his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I, this is Mary, have sought you anxiously. In James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, so my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so I I would just picture Joseph as him contemplating these things that are beyond him. These things that are, are, are too big for him, this great responsibility that has been bestowed upon him. Now Mary's described as blessed amongst women, but Joseph's blessed amongst men, but I would imagine he's pretty concerned. As with most men, especially with Joseph though, it's the character of his sons that speak volumes. And you can say, well, one of his sons was Jesus Christ, he was perfect. Well, there was also, there was others, but there was also James and Jude. James and Jude, the authors of a couple of the epistles in the scriptures. And you can look at yourself and say, well, you know what, my kids, you know, they're here, they're there, not doing so well, or whatever they might be. Well, at the point of the Lord's death, James and Jude were unbelievers. And now Joseph, more than likely, as we'll see, wasn't around during that time. But I just see this man who poured into his family, and at the end, and at the end, it would, would have been, if he was there, he could look, and it would have been all worth it. And we see the fruit of his ministry so that us, 2,000 years from that time, give or take, 
were able to partake of that ministry. Joseph was a man's man. Being a carpenter, that was work that was strenuous, it was serious, and it was very sweaty. It was very, it took a lot of effort to be a carpenter. Think of it, there's no power tools back in those days, and so you had to form everything by hand. But what I see in Joseph is how dad can so easily fade to the background as he provides for his family. Mom is usually the biggest part of a child's everyday life and the details of what's going on. I remember we would sit around the dinner table and one of our kids would ask mom a question as I was sitting there and she'd say, your father's sitting there, turn around and ask him. But the fact of the matter is that's how they were used to operating all during the day while I was off at work. There was many weeks when I was gone for for even 50 to 60 hours sometimes trying to earn that living. At the cross, Mary was promised the sword to pierce her heart. Joseph, at this point, at the time of the Lord's death, was probably absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so, a dedicated dad. Dedicated dad, well, we looked at mom about a month ago, and dad, that ministry obviously is completely different. This description of a dad that I found, it describes him as a person who gives up his dreams for your dreams. One who loves moms, likes his hobbies, but lives for his family. The money that used to be in his wallet is now replaced with something more valuable, snapshots of his children. He's the guy who goes off to work each day in order to become tired, dirty, and even discouraged at times. But you love him to the degree, well, you wish you could have met him sooner. We looked at the value of a mom, and her value, if you go through and everything that mom does, well, we came to the conclusion that she should be paid about $600,000 a year. Don't be waiting for the check, ladies. Dad... His value stares him in the face every Friday when he looks at that paycheck. And sometimes that can be quite discouraging, although mom and dad are beyond value. Dad's the one who pulled the splinters, fixes the car, and teaches you how to throw a curveball. He's God's example into the home of character, of strength, and compassion. The true description of a dad is not the man that becomes one, but the man who is one. The one who puts forth the effort. See, in my generation, we were taught to rise up and to be men. Now, some of it was cliche-ish, and some of it wasn't always good in that description back then. But biblically speaking, we were told to be the one that were to, well, we were to absorb the hardships that were to the family. Now, some of them we pass along to our, our wives and our kids because God uses those hardships to refine and define really what a family is. But I am to stand in the gap for my family. I'm to stand in the gap. Now, the problem is the older you get, you think they leave home, but they don't. They just go, they come back, and they multiply and bring reinforcements back. And so there's more responsibility. See, I thought they were going to leave the home. I was going to have grandchildren and not worry about it anymore. And it wouldn't be a concern anymore, but it's more of a concern. Because this kid that I I couldn't get to take out the trash or make up their bed, they now have stewardship over my grandchildren. And that'll drive you to your knees for sure. But again, I've been taught by my father, and he did me a great service here. Didn't raise me in the things of the Lord, but he taught me to be a man. I stumble and I fall at times. Not perfect personification of what a man is to be, but I I see the things that I just read that were listed there. There's a lot of truths that are contained in there. So Joseph, very dedicated and uncomplicated man whose life gives us insight into what a dad is to be. And so the first thing a dad is to be is to be loving, is to be loving. Now, when it comes to the emotion of love, 
a man best expresses it through sacrifice. A man will be willing to sacrifice himself for his family. That's the best. Yeah, I I can mouth the words without a doubt, and I do feel it in my heart, but my best expression of love is the sacrifice of myself, my desires, and my will for the family. I just saw a thing on the news before I came out. The Navy built, I don't remember if it was a battleship, what kind of ship it was, but they were christening it. And they're naming it after a Navy SEAL who threw himself on a hand grenade for the benefit of his, his friends. And I just see in that, that sacrifice. Ultimately, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate personification of sacrifice. But as a dad, I saw it in my father, and I've attempted to do it myself to sacrifice some of the things that maybe I desired for the benefit and the well-being of the family. We've been taught to take one for the team, to suck it up, and to be the anchor. Women may not understand that. I don't think women understand it really to a great degree, but this is what God has called us to do. This is who God has called us to be. Are we still living sacrificially for our family? As a family that God has given us, because, see, as there was a union of myself and my wife, and I was there and I saw the babies being born, There's no doubt that God has given me those children. There's no doubt that they are my ministry, and I'm accountable before God. Am I willing to give of myself, express love through sacrificial service to my family? The last 20 years has been a movement of men expressing their emotions and such. Well, men do get emotional. They do cry. They're tender. Their hearts break, and they do worry. But for the most part, you'll never know and you'll never see. Because, again, he's to be that, that example of Jesus Christ, that rock into the family. We've seen it many times in Genesis chapter 1. When God made man, he made man in his image. He made them male and female. And we see a lot of the details of which God generally put in women and men. And in men, we are to be the foundation. Depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no doubt about it, but being that example into the household, a father should be an awesome presence in the household. And when I say awesome, it should be fear. It should strike fear, not be afraid. Children shouldn't run and cower in the corner. I'm not saying that. But there should be that respect for fatherhood within the home. We have that responsibility to foster that because a child that will not respect his parents will not grow up to be a child that respects God. When things seem to be falling apart, dad needs to be falling into the lead. And things of this sort, dad, dad, well, he needs to be the one who steps up. There's a story of a young mother who went down to a baby's room and found her young husband peering at his newborn baby who was asleep. The mother could tell he was captivated by the scene as he stood there looking at the sleeping infant. She was so touched that finally she tiptoed up behind him, slipped her arms through his and said, Honey, what are you thinking about? And he said, I just can't understand how a crib like this could cost (laughs) $89.99. My first daughter, who got married, we had, my wife's going to get irritated at me for even saying this again, but we had the wedding, and, and, and as the father of the bride, you, you just keep going like this, and, and people keep taking money from you. And then I was informed we needed a wedding cake. Well, I knew that. Then I was informed that said wedding cake was going to cost $900. 
And I would look at, that's what I said. <laughs> and I looked at that wedding cake, and I was just beside me. My wife said, the emotional, and this is what we need. And there was reason, you know, there was this frosting. That, you know, the day of her wedding was about as hot as today was, and it was outside. And so there was apparently some reason, or at least they convinced us there was reason for it. But nonetheless, it was, but it, it was just one of those things that are beyond me, because it's about 10 years, and I'm still struggling with this. But... <laughs> It is what was necessary, and it's a good thing God gave his mom to, to, uh, to soften the father within me. The first example of love that we see in Joseph's life is towards Mary in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away. Now again, keep in mind, angel, or, or Joseph, he's got an angels visiting him. He's got this woman he's betrothed. Just think of it along the lines of engaged to. And, and all of a sudden, she comes up pregnant. And he knows he's not the father. So what happened? How did you get pregnant? The Holy Spirit came upon me. Say what? I mean, you just got to think about all this as he's pro- even with the angel coming and verifying that and all of that. This just had to be bigger than who he was. It's bigger than who I was when when I started having children. Again, recognizing the responsibility. Joseph here, he's done everything the right way in his relationship with Mary. Probably making plans for the future. Probably talking about children. And now she's pregnant. He doesn't know who the father is. Once again, only understanding that it's not him. And although he has every right to make her a public example, he decides to step up. He decides to be the man. Not allowing wild emotion to get the best of him. And he can justify it by the law and have her stoned to death as much as this has to hurt. And even again, hearing from the angel God's plan and not understanding in the midst of his confusion, he's going to do not what is his right to do, but what is right to do. And there's a huge difference. We talked about it Thursday night. A huge difference between what you have the right to do and what is right to do. A father will put aside his rights for what is right within the home. If we had more men stepping up and doing this today, we would not see the landscape across this nation of godlessness and immorality that we see today. We as men must step up. We must take the mantle of leadership. We need to exercise our authority as God has given it to us, but we must do it as Christ did it. We must do it sacrificially, and we must do it in love. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25, or verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Joseph's second example of love is his love towards Jesus. Again, he knew this child was not from him. Again, I imagine it probably took a long while if he ever totally did put together the pieces of who Messiah was. Joseph was not a dad, but he was also a stepdad, and he stepped up again and took that responsibility. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The next thing I see about Joseph, he's devoted. Now, I can so easily, and you'll probably hear an amen from my wife, I can so easily separate myself. I can pull within myself. It's just something that is so easy to do, but again, Leadership can be a very lonely place. Now, not to do that for the purpose of hurting anybody or or pushing anybody out, but again, as men, we can be alone with our thoughts and alone with our emotions. We can be so self-contained. We, 
don't need anybody else. We can open our own jars. Same hairstyle. My same hairstyle has lasted for years, and I haven't really changed it. The color of my hair has changed a little bit, but that's about it, at least whatever hair is there. If I need underwear, it's 10 bucks for a three-pack at Walmart, wherever. Gray hair and wrinkles, they simply add character. If another guy shows up at a party in the same outfit, we become lifelong friends. <laughs> We're impervious to wrinkles in our clothes, at least seeing wrinkles in our clothes. One wallet, one pair of shoes, one color for all seasons. We can do our nails with a pocket knife and a pair of wire cutters, as I had so often. Christmas shopping can be accomplished for 25 people on the day before Christmas in 45 minutes. I don't understand what the big deal is. Again, I can, I can so easily have tunnel vision. But again, just think of Joseph on that day he was finding all of this out. A man with dreams and aspirations. A man who, when he was alone with his thoughts, because again, he and Mary were not married at that time, so he's going home and he's alone. And, and just think of how huge this must be in his life. And now, as he's a man who's self-contained, he has no control over the situation. You want to throw a man into despair? Put him in a situation that's overwhelming and give him no control whatsoever. Now, as born-again believers, we know that we have prayer in that situation. But again, this had to be just, well, really bigger than him. He was devoted, though, to his wife and to his children. He gave them up. He gave up his dreams and aspirations for the betterment of his family. Again, this was a man who was a carpenter. He was planted in this town of Nazareth, but then through the birth of this baby, if you look over in chapter 12, verses 13 through 15, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And then down at verse 19, Now when Herod had, uh, was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And so here's Joseph, as I said so many times before, probably a man confused and overwhelmed by everything that's going on, but the thing that you've got to give him, this is a man who's obedient to the word of God. He doesn't understand what's before him. He sees the danger that he perceives before him. But the one thing that he knows is, as far as directing his family, this is what God has called me to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and that's what he did. And as he did those things, notice that, well, look at all the generations that came to Christ. Through his obedience, and again, this obscure man, hear nothing of, know very little about, but just very faithful in the little bit, we don't know when Joseph died, but just very faithful in the little bit that God has given him to do, God used him in this plan to affect all generations of all time. And again, it's the same thing, you as a faithful father. A faithful father, I'm not going to be able to see what God is doing, the whole picture. I'm not going to know the beginning from the end. But the thing I'm supposed to be doing is just to be faithful in the part that God has given me for the day. To know what is right scripturally speaking at that particular moment. 
And now, not everybody here had a father that was faithful. I could probably bring up stuff about my father, and you could bring up stuff of your father. I could bring up stuff about myself that wasn't so great, and you could probably be convicted the same way. It's not about the perfection of the person. It's about the heart that desires to walk rightly in the face of a holy God for the purpose of family and the future generations. And just as he was devoted to family, he was also again devoted to God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, speaking of Jesus, it says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Joseph knew, scripturally speaking, that that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're going to do. In Luke chapter 2, verses 51 through 52, when he, when Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He was subject to his parents. He was open and obedient to the training of his mother and his father. And so this isn't Children's Day, it's Father's Day, but as the Bible has commanded my children to be obedient to me, is to be fearful, is respectful of me, there's great responsibility for myself to be that leader that God has called me to be. There's a story of a little boy who was playing on a Sunday morning while his dad was in a lounge chair reading the paper. And the father said, son, get yourself ready for Sunday school. And the little boy asked, are you coming with me today, dad? And the man replied, no, I'm, I'm not coming. But I want you to hurry up and get ready. The little boy then said, did you used to go to Sunday school when you were a boy, Dad? And he said, I most certainly did. As the little boy walked away, he mumbled, yeah, and I bet it won't do me any good either. And as I've said so many times, and I'll say it again, the worst thing we can do, worst thing we can do is give the spiritual training over to somebody else. Now, there's teachers right now that are teaching your children. You saw the blessings of the children up here. But that is to be an extension of your ministry, your spiritual training in your household to those kids. Again, you've got that responsibility before the Lord because the worst thing that you can do is to come here and then to leave here. Come here, play in the act of a believer, and then leave here acting like a heathen. That's going to do, you know, the, the, the problem in what this child was pointing out was the hypocrisy of the father. And again, I, I saw it in my life. My dad told me that he probably wouldn't even go to church if it wasn't for uh, his wife and, and us children. And that really spoke volumes to me. When I grow up, is that something that I want? If this is so unimportant to him, is this something that is to be really valued? How does your ministry to your family express the value of your belief in Jesus Christ? Have you ever considered that? Because the child is looking at you, and the child is going to value Christ to the degree that you value Christ. Or he's going to, evaluate, he's going to value the world and the things of the flesh to the degree that you value the world and the things of the flesh. And I guarantee you this, if you're playing the hypocrite, He's not going to want to have anything to do with you or your beliefs. And so again, we need to see the responsibility that we stand front and center. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And the best example that you can give them is a living example. Yourself, that they would be able to imitate you as you imitate Christ. And I, I see how this plays out in 
in life, in, in reality. I, I've seen my children, not in perfection without a doubt, not that they don't have their testimonies, they do, but I have seen them that when they are walking strongly with the Lord, they closely imitate when my wife and I walk strongly with the Lord. And so they're going to take the things of the flesh. They're going to even take sin that they observe in your life, and they're going to have a testimony. They're going to get involved in that. I mean, it's necessary. God, God, when he pulled you out of the world, you were in the midst of sin. And at some point, every one of our children need to become born again. None of them are born again from the womb. And that being the case, there's going to have to, well, not that so much that they're going to have to, but they will experience that sinful side of, of life. It's the only way that we'll really truly know and understand grace. But they need to be taught so that when they come to themselves, that they do come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They do understand that the Lord is there and the Lord is waiting for them. The third thing I see a dad, a dad is to be wise. When Jesus charged John to take care of his mother, again, we can draw the conclusion that Joseph was not around at that time. So Joseph had a limited amount of time with his children doing the things that a dad is supposed to do. Obviously, again, Jesus, he's a special case. But his brothers, especially James and Judas, I've already pointed out, I see that as they were previous unbelievers, they came to a saving knowledge. And any child that gets saved, now I know God can work through so many ways, but I just see the potential that a father has to plant those seeds of salvation in the heart of a child. Our problem can be that we still want to see them germinate and sprout up before our eyes, but maybe you won't even see that happen until after you're gone until after you're with the Lord. But I guarantee you, it will be all worth it. There's a story of a third grade student who was asked to draw a picture of what she thought God would look like. The little girl showed the teacher, and the teacher said, wait a minute, that looks like a man, that's not God. And the little girl said, well, I don't know what God looks like, but this is a picture of my daddy, and surely God must look something like my daddy. Are we able to express the image of God to our families, to our kids. And, and, and again, as I've entered into the age that I have entered into, I, I, if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, you know, with Father's Day, I posted a picture of my dad and myself. It was in 1984, and I was looking at it, and I was thinking, man, I used to be pretty good looking. <laughs> the problem is, I used to be pretty good looking. <laughs> you look at the years, and, and they've been pretty hard. But as I, I just see that time with my dad, and I, I, I see the, the years and, and the effects that they're able, you know, that they, they do have, and, and how fast that time went. The time just, you know, looking at it from my perspective, that, that, that time just flew by. And now I've got grandchildren. Max was just born last Monday, number six. And so what this is doing is it's showing me and increasing the influence that I am to continue to, to push forward in ministering to this family so that they in turn would follow Jesus Christ, that I would be imitating Jesus. I would be imitating Christ and they would follow me, that they would imitate me just as surely as I imitate Christ. So as tough and hard as a dad's ministry can be or a dad is to be, go, go ahead and turn over to, uh, to the Gospel of Luke. I'm sorry, <laughs> just the Gospel of Luke. We'll go through the whole book. Luke, 20, uh, Luke chapter 15, verse, starting at verse 11. We'll close with this, but it, it'll be a lengthy closing. 
I want to look at two things. Two things, uh, a father, a father who, who, who seeks after the Lord. And I want to put ourselves in the position of a child. First, I want to look at three ways to do damage to such a heart. To such a heart of a man who does love his family, at times has to do the hard things, at times may seem insensitive, at times may seem absent, but just because he feels that it's the necessary thing to do as far as working and supporting the family and doing the things that are, un, or things that are necessary, although that won't always be realized by the younger people. So, again, how do you do damage to a father's house? The first thing is withdraw from him. Withdraw from him. See, what we have here in this parable, and you know the parable of the prodigal son, it's exactly what he did. In verse 11... It says, and he said, a certain man, Jesus is telling the story, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough bread and, and to spare, uh, have enough bread and to spare, and I will perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the first thing he did was he, he withdrew from his father. Looks like dad wasn't included in any of his decisions, didn't seek the advice of his father. He seemed to be tired, and that's kind of the point of the story. He was waiting around for dad to die even. Dad had to realize this. He just wanted his inheritance and... And that was the, the biggest priority. He wanted to cash in on dad. And so there was that emotional break. Secondly, you want to break dad's heart? Waste what he gave you. Waste what he gave you. Make all of his examples, his words, and his deeds of no influence in your life, and you'll get them really good. You'll get them really good. Do contrary to what he has said. Don't follow the example when he has set a good example. And again, it'll truly touch the heart of a father in a negative way. Proverbs 23, verses 19 through 25 says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with the gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe the man with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. The Apostle John wrote in John, 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the light. James Dobson said, We are so concerned about giving children what we didn't have when we were growing up that we neglect to give them what we did have. Maybe we didn't have material things, but we did have an appreciation and value of things and the willingness to work for it. And thirdly, the third way that will be sure to do damage to dad's heart is to violate his moral standards. Verse 21, back in, in Luke, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. The thing about a son 
or a daughter, a thing that we need to understand, because you go through life and you accumulate a lot of stuff. You accumulate a lot of things. You even accumulate a lot of experiences. But as you've heard so many times, kind of a Christian cliche, it's all going to burn. But your daughter, your son, they will be the only possessions that you can take to heaven with you. Everything else is going to burn. But as far as your children, there's the potential to take them to heaven with you. And it will tear dad's heart out of his chest if it appears that you're going to burn with the things and the stuff. And that can just weigh so, so heavy on the heart of a father who has a proper spiritual perspective. I rejoice in the Lord and my salvation and my relationship with Jesus Christ, but it makes it so hard to look at the other side. It, looks so hard, it makes it so hard to look at the side of people who are perishing, and especially when your loved ones are amongst them. Again, it can do such damage to your heart. So three ways, three ways that we're able to really get it, Dad. But I want to close with, see, I'm a pastor. I can say we're going to close multiple times. Three ways that we can delight a dad's heart. First, you want to delight the heart of your dad. Seek out his fellowship. Just simply spend time with him. Back in Luke chapter 15, let me get there verses 17 through 19, but when he came to himself. See, that's the hard part about being a father. And and yeah, sacrificial, and you still want to go to eat the pig pods for him and allow them to get out, but sometimes they have to eat the pig pods themselves. Sometimes they have to spend time in the pig slop. And again, the example of this man, he allowed his son to do what was necessary or have happened to him what was necessary to have happened to him to see that change come about. But in verse 17 and 19, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son Make me like one of your hired servants. Well, verse 12 was give me, but now he's come to himself. Now it's make me. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He so looked forward to have that, that reunion back with the son, the son that has been so far off, but now has come back into his fellowship. Cliff Barrow, Cliff Barrow was Billy Graham's worship leader, it says, or he had said, there are 12 words that hold the family together. They are, I was wrong, I am sorry, please forgive me, and I love you. While the father was hurt when his son rejected him, his heart was gladdened when his son returned and desired to be with him when he came back to him. Secondly, the second way to delight the heart of your dad is to respect his authority. Again, Luke chapter 15, verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. So again, look at the differences. Look at the change that God is able to work in a man, a father, who is dedicated to God's word, keeping his eyes upon the Lord, even when the child goes prodigal. See, this child, I mean, look how valuable this experience was of what this prodigal child did. He left well-dressed, but he came back in rags. Sometimes that's necessary. He left clean, but he came back dirty. Sometimes that's necessary. He left pure, 
but he came back tainted by sin. Sometimes that's necessary. He left arrogantly saying, give me. He came back humbly saying, make me. The son came back with a humble spirit, respecting his father's authority, and that's something that the Lord is able to work miracles with. It was a miracle leading up to it, and then you will see the miracle leading through it. See, there's that, I think it was Mark Twain, you know, when a child is born, clings to his parents. At some point, especially his father is the smartest, strongest person in the world. And then the teenage years hit, and dad becomes the stupidest person in the world. But then they start maturing, and they start realizing the wisdom that exists there. And again, I see that played out. Teenage years, Dobson said, just hang on and don't let go. But you see the value of that. And like hanging on, you hang on in prayer. You hang on in the Word. You hang on in the ministry with your wife. And as you do, God is going to bless that. The third way to delight the heart of your dad is to share in his joy. Verses 20 through 24, And he arose and came to his father, but he was still a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. This is dad's joy shared in, well, speaking to the younger people here, you coming out of your room, or maybe you putting down the device and just entering into fellowship with the family. Maybe if you're a little bit older, leaving your house and coming and visiting, coming out of your shell and fellowshipping, coming out of yourself and worshiping together. And again, greatest joy is coming alongside and serving. It's to live out the Christian life in reality, in practical ways in a person's life to such a degree that we see Christ, that the Father would see the fruit of his labor. Because the worst thing that I can do is to do a job, a constant job, and pour all of myself into it and see no value come about it. Well, how much more so would that be discouraging in the raising up of a family? And the thing about it is, a child, you hold that which a father so desires, your heart, your heart. And that's all the dad wants to see is your heart as it beats for the Lord and beats for him and the family that really you are engaged and really you do care. Now, I'm not saying you sit around and have these love parties all day long kind of a thing because real life enters in, but it's just those momentary times when we do reveal ourselves to one another that are so valuable. Yesterday, my wife and I were at home. My mother-in-law came with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, and then my daughter Chelsea and, and um, Kyle with Henry and Max. And it was just a portion of the family, but it was just a joy to be amongst family. John, third John, verse 4 once again, John understands this. Now, he's speaking in the church, but it transcends in so many different places. I have no greater joy and to see my children walking in the light. My dad, it's amazing to me, my dad's been gone almost 18 years now. And again, you can so easily dwell upon the negative, but I'm the man that I am today, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I see the value of the work and the ethic that he instilled inside of me. And I hold that dear, and I hold that precious, but I have to be concerned, and I have to be seriously consider 
What kind of character am I expressing to the future generations? What kind of ethic am I instilling in them? Now, if you look at society today, you'll see men are not doing this. Fathers are not stepping up. And we can look at it and we can say, it's a mess out there. But I'm not concerned with out there so much. Well, at least not my first priority. My first priority is in the home. And, and the first one I need to be concerned about is myself. And again, if your family isn't all that I've described here, at least all the positive things I've described here, today's the day to make change. And where does change need to start? It always needs to start with yourself. That you would consider these things, and if change is necessary, that you would make this change. I want to read this last little paragraph. I've read it before, but it's always really touched me. It's from Gail Irwin. Gail Irwin is an author, and he's a Calvary Chapel pastor. He says, when I was six years old, my father was severely injured in an airplane accident and was left partially paralyzed and brain damaged. My mother then became the breadwinner of the house. Since my mother was often not there as she attempted to make a living and my dad was not there physically or mentally, the stage was set for family failure. But our family did not fail. Through difficult times, both parents stayed faithful to God and to us. Prayer, belief, steadfastness, and love surrounded us. Money and fine homes didn't. When my father died, my two brothers and I stood in front of his casket and made the following statement to the friends who had gathered for the funeral service. Our father did not leave a financial empire for us to carry on. Many things that a dad normally does with his sons, ours was unable to do. He was unable to teach us many things that a dad normally teaches. But he did leave us something that he had. He left us with a love of God and a love for the Bible, a love for people and an understanding of worship and an inability to hate. We feel that he has left us only those things which will last. So we stand here before you as his sons and declare publicly that we will follow his God. Such an example. Such an example. Now, most of you here, men, dads, you're not physically disabled. Most of you aren't mentally disabled, regardless of what your wife say. You're, you're not mentally disabled. And if this man is able to leave such a witness, what kind of witness are we going to leave? What kind of legacy? We look forward to the rapture, yeah, but nobody knows when it's going to happen. And so the reality of the matter is, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? I've been called to be the leader of my home. And we may stand up and say, well, I am the leader of my home. They do what I say. And I'm not talking about physical strength. I'm talking about spiritual strength. We're called to be the spiritual leaders of our home. Our wives are not. If your wife is doing that because of your shortcomings, you're doing a great disservice to the kingdom of God and to your home. Today's the day to repent, to start going in the right direction, and to assume the leadership that God has laid before our feet. It's only when we pick up that mantle of leadership that we are going to see God bless our families and God bless our communities. You need to be of the mindset, here I am. Let it start with me. Father, once again, we do thank you. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy and that every man here has failed in some way and in some capacity. But, Father, Christianity is not about our failures. It's about, Lord, your victories. It's about your grace and the love that you have bestowed upon man so that even while he was still a sinner, you died for him. And because you died for us, Lord, we can live for you. And so, Father, the way a man is to live with you is by assuming the responsibility, by stepping up. But Lord, we have placed these things in places where they do not belong. We've placed them at the pulpit and put the load on the pastor. We've placed them at the footsteps of our wives and put the load on them. But Father, I pray that we would realize that God, that's going to be unacceptable in the sight of God. 
that God is going to expect us to have taken this role of leadership, to mentor our children and to bless them through doing the difficult things and the hard things, but being their father for everything. And so, Lord, we just lift up today, and once again, it's not a means of putting people down, but to have conviction, Father, for the purpose of change, that we would make the determination that everything of the past stops here today, and we move forward, that I move forward in the Lord from this point on. And so, Father, just fill us with your Spirit. Help us to do these things that are greater than we are, Father, so that your kingdom here on earth will be greater than it has ever been. And so, Lord, I lift up the fathers who are here in this place today. I pray, Father, that you would bless them. I pray that you would go before them. I pray, Father, maybe if there's a family here that has a prodigal or maybe you haven't been in communication with a child for quite a while, I pray that this would be the day that change occurs. I pray that those prodigals would come to themselves and pray, Father, that we would just have a joyous time, a true Father's Day as we seek out our Father in heaven and, Lord, as we assume the responsibilities of a Father here on earth. So, Lord, again, just bless us, guide us, make these things unique to every man that is represented in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?